Σήμερα δεν αρχόμουν αυτού και τούτο προλαβό της Αγίας Ευχόης. Ο Άδης είναι You're listening to Vexed, a program on the Ephesus School Network. I'm Andrea Bacchus, your curator through biblical literature and its world and culture. Just as a museum curator selects, acquires, cares for, repairs objects, and discovers frauds and counterfeits, I'll be sifting through our world and culture for examples to help us better understand the biblical text. I first heard the term, rather the toast, Lahayim, when I was a kid. The movie Fiddler on the Roof was on TV. Great movie, great story, it's one of my favorites. And it's well known to most folks 50 or older, mm, at least, least in the U.S., I'd say. It was a Broadway musical in the 1960s, which was later made into a movie, It's the story of a poor Jewish milkman, Tevye, and his family in the village of Anatevka in the Ukraine, set in 1905. It's about Tevye's attempt to hold on to his religious and cultural traditions as the outside world begins to encroach on them. There's a scene in which Tevye has consented to a proposal. His daughter, Tseitel, is to wed the much older but ever so jolly man of means, Laser Wolf the Butcher. So Tevye and Laser Wolf and the men in the village are celebrating, drinking, clinking glasses, and toasting. Laser Wolf to Tevye! To title your daughter, my wife! May all your futures be pleasant ones, not like our present ones. Drink Lachaim to life, to life, Lachaim! Great scene. As you've just heard, Lahayim is a Hebrew phrase which means to life. I recently heard this toast, and I was struck by this particular choice of words for toasting a celebration. Given that it's an engagement, why not to the happy couple or to their happiness? I briefly looked up some discussion online about the origins of this toast. There is a Talmudic explanation given that has to do with wine and that in the Bible, a lot of mischief starts with wine. One example given from the book of Genesis is that of Noah. He was doing well, survived the flood, and then in chapter 9, he plants a vineyard, and then things begin to go wrong. Another example given 
from the book of Genesis is found in chapter 19, where we hear that Lot's daughters make their father drunk with wine and mischief ensues. So this toast expresses the wish that this wine be unto a good and peaceful life for the couple and not unto mischief. But this explanation does not answer my question. Why are these particular words chosen? Why to life? Now, it's not a stretch to suppose that what's implied in this toast is the wish that the couple bear children and that this is what's being celebrated. And though I've been hearing this toast for years, I heard it recently and it occurred to me in a new way. It hit me that this toast is actually a pithy yet powerful expression of biblical wisdom and that the Bible is the source of the words in this toast and the sentiment expressed therein. And it has nothing to do with wine or goodness or mischief or even man and woman per se. It has to do with the fact that in the Bible, God is interested not so much in humanity, which we tend to focus on, but in the continuation of life. People come and go in the biblical story, but his interest is in the continuation of life. All of creation is God's focus in the book of Genesis, of which humanity is only a part. His plan is to populate the whole earth. And life includes all of creation, not only man. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates the earth and the vegetation and the animals and makes provision for them and their reproduction all before God creates man. In Genesis chapter 1 verses 9 to 12, we hear about the dry land, the earth, and the vegetation, and we hear about the seed, the zera in Hebrew, the sperma in Septuagint Greek, which contains the DNA, so to speak, of the trees and the fruits. The seed is life, the means by which life continues, and this is true for all living things, plants, and animals, which include man. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, we hear, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, an herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. It is the seed, the zera, sperma, that is blessed. The seed is what counts. The seed produces life. And it is God that produces the seed from his word of command. Jumping to the New Testament, while we're focused on the seed, we hear a lot about seeds and sowing in the so-called parable of the sower. It's actually parables of the sower, since we find this parable in the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, they're not the same parable. 
They're similar, but not the same. The wording differs, and the function of the parables in each book is different. We tend to speak about the parable of the sower as if it's one universal parable. It is not. There is Matthew's telling of it, there is Mark's telling of it, and there's Luke's telling of it. The point here is that in each version, the seed is the reference. In all three, the seed is the actor, the driver of the action. It's the seed that produces fruit, produces life. In the story, neither the sower nor the soil have what's needful for life. Going back to Genesis chapter 1, to recap, we are hearing the repetition of God's command that life continue, all life. In Genesis chapter 1 verses 20 to 22, we hear about the living creatures in the waters and the birds, and God has made provision for them and commands them to be fruitful and multiply. We hear in verses 20 to 22, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters bring forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. And then, when we come to verse 27, we hear about God creating man. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, we hear, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, the beginning of verse 27, the part that reads, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him part, we will not be discussing today. We will discuss that on a future podcast. For now, we're focusing on the last part of the verse, the part that reads, He created him, male and female, he created them. We have that God created man. It doesn't mean man as in the male of the sexes. The word here is Adam in Hebrew and Anthropon in Greek, which is better translated as human being. We then hear he created him, Adam, male and female, he created them. So we have the two parts, if you will, required for life. And then in verse 28, we hear, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creature that crawls upon the earth. We have God's blessing and command that they be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The procreation is what's highlighted here. We have a repeat of this refrain, be fruitful and multiply, again in Genesis chapter 8 and 9, after the flood. 
God issues the same command to Noah three times. In Genesis chapter 8, verses 15 to 17, we hear, And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife, and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. In Genesis chapter 9 verse 1, we hear, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And then again, in verse 7, we hear God commanding Noah and his sons, And you be ye fruitful, and multiply, and bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. As we read on in chapter 9, after the flood, wherein nearly all life has been destroyed by God's command, with Noah and his sons surviving, we hear that God's purview is the whole earth and every living creature of flesh. So life continues after the flood, and this life includes the whole earth and every living creature of flesh. In Genesis chapter 9, verses 13 to 17, we hear about God's covenant. The way people speak about this covenant makes it sound as though God's covenant is with Noah. In the text, it is not. The covenant is between God and all flesh. Let's hear verses 13 to 17. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And it shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This thread, this emphasis on seed and the furtherance of life of all flesh continues throughout Genesis. In Genesis chapter 19, we hear about Lot and his daughters and their concern for their father's seed. In verse 30, we hear, And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain, and his two daughters with him. For he feared to dwell in Zoar, and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the seed of our father. And as you continue to hear Genesis, you are introduced to Jacob and his wives and sons, and we hear about characters who get up to all kinds of mischief in their effort to ensure their progeny, 
and their legacy. And God will repeatedly remind them that it is He who provides the seed. So coming back to where we started, Lachayim, the beauty of this simple phrase, to life, is that it captures this encompassing biblical teaching. In the Bible, God is interested in life, in the continuation of life, not your life or my life, but life the way it is described in the biblical story. Another time, we will talk about shepherd culture as the biblical proposition for the kind of life that God endorses. So when you declare l'chaim, you are giving your amen to this teaching. You are saying yes to God's provision of life in the story. Let us consider such an occasion, an invitation to return to the biblical text and again hear its instruction. Until next time, this is Vexed. Vexed is a production of the Ephesus School Network.